This is the Bobcast, a podcast exploring Reformed theology through the works of Herman Bovink. Hey there, Bob Squad. This is your friendly neighborhood Bobcast, and I am one of your Bob hosts, Caleb Castro. And I am your less friendly Bob host, Andrew Smith. Well, that's about the truth. Yep. No, it's it's just in your voice. You're actually a very friendly guy. Yeah. I'm just boring. That's that's what it is. Well, also, we're probably not your neighborhood unless you're in rural southwest Minnesota or wherever Caleb is at now. I don't even know where I'm at now. Uh, actually, it's it's snowing. It's snowing quite heavily at this moment. I was out there a while ago. We were definitely somewhere around 13 inches, uh, 14 inches, and more is coming. Uh, so soon, uh, I may need uh, help. Uh, I may need to go out and forage for food and, uh, yeah, find a way to survive. Caleb clearly showing his California upbringing in that you forage and put away your food before winter, not during. Oh, I can't help it. Yeah, we know. What I can't help, though, is uh, pointing us back to, uh, away from our rambling and back to what people are actually here for, not for us, but for Ermin Bovink, uh, and actually, more specifically, they're here for God. They're here for Jesus. So we've been talking about the being of God now for the last couple of episodes, and we have one more episode on that here today, uh, talking through the attributes of God. Bobcast. Bobbing continues on at the bottom of the page um, in then talking about the importance of maintaining both transcendence and imminence for a right theology against polytheism and deism and whatnot. We have the last full sentence on page 119. He says that it is clear that the oneness and unity of God is directly connected with the incommunicable attributes. God is the one God. And the only God, only if no one and nothing can be what he is alongside of him or under him. So basically, when all these incommunicable attributes that we've spoken of, his independence, his unchangeableness, his simplicity, eternality and omnipresence or his infinity, everything in terms of these incommunicable attributes help us to understand there is no one like God. There are none like him. So he is singular, which again, we have from uh, Belgian Confession Article 1. We confess there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. So this is also then what it means to say, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Yep. Yep. And this can lead us then to the communicable attributes. So we have looked at these incommunicable attributes, these attributes of God that are not shared with us in any way. Now we turn to the communicable attributes. These are found on page 120 through 123. Now we have to bear in mind that we are talking about our ectypal theology. When we talk about the communicable attributes, they are reflected in man in some way, but not fully comprehended. So these are things that are 
like something in us or can relate to something in us, but we don't have them and we are not them in the same way that God is. Right. For example, man has love. Is though God's love the exact same as man's? No, we're going to see uh, a difference here. And actually, uh, Bob Inc. will give us an example of how all of this works. And perhaps this would be a good spot to actually read this somewhat lengthy quote, or at least part of it, on page 121. Also, brief note, we are skipping somewhat of a large section from page 120 to the top of 121 regarding how the names of God, the name God, and the name uh, Lord or Yahweh, help us understand these communicable and incommunicable attributes. So that is an interesting section that we're not going to get into right here, but we do recommend you read it again. If you have not yet, then read it a first time. So this quote here, the two kinds of attributes are not in conflict with each other. So again, no separation. We might say that the first, the incommunicable attributes, serve to illumine and reinforce the others. Consider, for example, the love of God. Now, again, uh, those incommunicable attributes are those things that do not bear resemblance in man. There's no similarity in creature. So, Understanding that helps us to also understand and reinforce how we understand our type of love. So we would not be permitted to speak of love, the love of God, nor could we speak of the love of God if the attribute which men call love were not in a sense an impression, an ectype or an image or likeness of love that is present in God. So we could not speak of a notion of human love or anything about love if God himself did not first have love or if there was no such thing as the love of God. There should be a certain correspondence between the divine and the human love, or else all of our thinking and speaking of the love of God are hollow sound. But this similarity doesn't mean identity or that it is identical. The purest and strongest love among men is but a very weak reflection of the love which is in God, and that teaches us to understand the incommunicable attributes. From them, we learn that in God... Love far transcends the love of creatures, for the love in God is independent. The love of God is unchangeable, simple, eternal, and omnipresent, not bound by time and space. It does not depend on us, again, it's independent, nor is aroused by us. We can't change it. We can't break it off into some parts, but it flows free and pure from the depths of the divine being. It knows no variation, neither falls nor rises, appears nor disappears, and there is not even the shadow of turning about it. It is not merely a property of the divine being alongside of other properties or attributes. It never gets into conflict with other perfections of God. But it also coincides with the divine being himself. We remember we say that God is his nature. He is his attributes. This is what it means to say, also then, that God is love. He himself wholly and perfectly and with his whole being is love. And this love is not subject to time and space, but stands above it and comes down out of eternity into the hearts of the children of God. And such a love is absolutely reliable. And we can say, I believe, wow, I know long quote there, but a remarkable and uh, very beautifully put quote. Just to maybe illustrate this a little bit, bring it down to earth a little bit. I mean, think about human love. You know, I'm married to Heidi, our show's producer, and I love Heidi, but I also leave my socks around on the floor, <laughs> my dirty socks, and she doesn't like that very much. My love is limited in that I don't do it perfectly. I'm not always doing loving things. I'm not always the perfect example of love. Also thinking like 
you know, human love is bound by time. I did not love Heidi before I met her with apologies to Savage Garden. (laughs) Oh, no. You know, before I met her in 2015, it would not be appropriate to say that I loved her. Whereas God, consistent with his eternity, God has always been love, always is love. Outside of time, transcendent of time, God is love. And that way he also will have, as you're saying, like a much more perfect love for each one of his people in Christ. And in some respects, we could say he then also has a creaturely love for each of his creatures. God's love is perfect and not distorted without any compelling by man. You know, man cannot make God love him. Again, this becomes a very important uh, thing to keep in mind for then things like who did Christ die for? What do we do with the elect? The question of predestination. We have to remember God is his perfections. God is perfectly loving and God is perfectly just. So Bobby continues in saying that by understanding these incommunicable attributes, we can say that our souls rest in God. And these same sort of things can be understood in terms of his communicable attributes. There is in God's creatures a faint likeness of the knowledge and wisdom, the goodness and grace, the righteousness and holiness, and of the will and the power which are proper to God. All that is transient is an image. Or in other words, he says, the things that are seen came into being out of the things that are not seen. So when we're talking about creation, then the things that did not exist, but are made to exist by the power of God's word. This includes, then, these communicable attributes. The things that are seen, such as knowledge, wisdom, goodness, grace, righteousness, holiness, will, power, etc., came out of that which are not seen. He cites Hebrews 11.3 there. But all those attributes that we just named are present in God in an original, independent, unchangeable, simple, and infinite way. The Lord alone is God, and it is he that has made us to be his people, the sheep of his flock, Psalm 103. So the very fact that Andrew can love Heidi is because God himself is love. God first is love, and he has brought love into his creation by a free act of his eternal purposes. Bavink says that these communicable attributes, they're so numerous, it is impossible to sum them all up here and describe them. He's right. There are... So many things we learn even in scripture, even in Revelation about God, but we can try to at least hit some of the major ones and briefly explain what they are. Uh, So we've already talked about love, and I think we've done sufficient justice to that as we can, as our ectypal theology allows. But another one is that God is living, that God is alive, God has life. Now, we are alive, but it's not the same. For instance, Boving said that these communicable attributes are things he has in his infinity, which is his eternity and his omnipresence. So God is always alive everywhere, uh, has always been alive everywhere, always will be alive everywhere, and his life even transcends time and space. Whereas for us, so like me, I was conceived on a certain day, and I was born on a certain day. Before the date I was conceived, it, it would not be appropriate to say that I was alive. My life is limited, and then on a certain day, unless the Lord returns, I will die. And I will no longer live, at least mortally speaking, and on this earth, or I will be living 
in heaven and then eventually living in the new heavens and the new earth but our life is not the same as god's life which which never undergoes those changes likewise god's existence or that god is living this is what the phrase that we had said earlier in terms of his being a being is that which exists man has being so man exists but man's existence is dependent upon God. It is God that sustains and preserves him. Even though man has an immortal soul, that soul's existence is granted to him. It is dependent upon God giving man that immortality. And so you could say the difference then with God's being, God's existence, is that, first of all, God is independent. And at the same time, he is self-existent. God is immortal. We are not naturally immortal in and of ourselves like God is. We have immortality as a gift, as being, as I mentioned, sustained by God. So God as a living being, this is to say that only God is absolute and only God is necessary. Everything else is dependent and contingent upon God. And that's why we can change. Uh, that's why things in creation can be broken apart subject to time, subject to space, limitations. Only God is necessary. So you see the difference between the living God, who is from everlasting to everlasting, and creation or creature which has life. And this is why Bavink will reference Psalm 36, 9 in Jeremiah 2.13 in speaking of God as pure life and the fountain of all life. He is the source, as it were, of life. Next, we see that God is spirit. This is, of course, appealing to John 4, verse 24, where Jesus, speaking to the Samaritan woman, says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So even in that verse, we see that God is spirit, but when we see that we also worship him in spirit, so we too have a spirit, we have a soul, but just as with our life, it's it's different, it's limited, it, it has a beginning, it was made as opposed to God who was not made, was not created. Yeah, and this will also become a part of a necessary aspect of understanding uh, the relationship between Christ's divine and human nature. We keep in mind that God in his essence is spirit, pure spirit, as Andrew was saying. This means he's non-corporeal, he's invisible. And again, like you just said, he, he has no body. And so for him to take on flesh in the incarnation, first of all, is scandalous, but scandalous in the eyes of the world, that is, of the pagan world. It's remarkable. It's inconceivable, even, that he would come and incarnate and take upon flesh added to his divinity, if you will. Likewise, though, there is, uh, as a spirit, a part of this spirituality is that he has consciousness. Bob Inc. sums that up as uh, a perfect knowledge of himself. Uh, referencing Matthew eleven twenty seven, First Corinthians two ten, and in and through himself, he also has perfect knowledge of everything that is to be or happen in time, no matter how hidden or small it may be. Uh, he further references Isaiah forty six ten, Jeremiah eleven twenty, etc. You can see the footnotes there in footnote seven. So God's consciousness, uh, if you're picking up, he's using that as a phrase to encapsulate everything regarding the knowledge of God. So uh, we know this perhaps more commonly as uh, God's omniscience, that he knows all things and of everything exhaustively. Likewise, God is entirely truthful, 
as an aspect that we can understand from this. This consciousness, this perfect knowledge, omniscience, etc., is what we could then also call uh, his perfections of intellect. Man can likewise know things. Man likewise can have a consciousness or awareness of the things around him in his context. Man can have truthfulness, but again, they're all limited. So we also see that God has a will. Now, this is a whole other large discussion about the, the nature of the will of God and the different aspects of that, even the ways in which we can speak about the will of God as different things in different ways. But suffice to say that, you know, God has a will. God has a decree that he has purpose to come to pass that's unchangeable. It's immutable. Um, whereas we have a will, like I might will, I might desire that I'm going to go eat dinner. But, you know, I could, when I click the button to hang up on this Skype call, get electrocuted and die, <laughs> and I might not get dinner. My will can be thwarted. My will can be overthrown. My will can change. I might decide when dinner time rolls around, eh, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat. Yeah, right. Like that would ever happen. But, um, I mean, look at me. But Amen. So all that to say, uh, yet again, we're looking at a copy in our will of, of God's will. It, it's limited by, by who we are and what we are. Yes, and uh, this is something of uh, what we could also relate to his sovereignty, that uh, God's will is absolute, is perfect, it is truthful, it takes in consideration all things, uh, knowing all things. So you, you keep tracking with the, the previous attributes, communicable and incommunicable, that we've been speaking of. You see how they start to flesh out and that they are united together by God's inseparability. So God's exercise of his will is what we could also then, as I said, call his sovereignty. Man has some resemblance of sovereignty in terms of having agency, being an individual agent or having the ability to exercise his volition, his desires, passions, and powers, as Andrew was saying. And speaking of powers, that next attribute God's perfections of power, by means of which, notwithstanding any and all opposition, he executes what he has planned because of which nothing is impossible to him. So again, what Andrew was stating there, that that cannot be thwarted in God. Likewise, man can exercise his power, but yes, can be thwarted. So power is also then that of a perfection of his sovereignty. And I like this, this next phrase he says here, this knowledge or consciousness, this will and power are not arbitrary. They are in all their parts ethically determined. This is something that's really both incomprehensible, unfathomable, and yet, I don't know, but just, just amazing. That when we consider God's all-encompassing knowledge, his perfect knowledge, his perfect awareness, his perfect and absolute power and will, this all ties into that God always has the most worthiest ends in mind, so to speak, and that he always used the means towards those worthiest ends. So God is going to deal rightly with everything. And this, this brings us to uh, wisdom. He says, wisdom in the Holy Scriptures ascribed to God and by means of which he arranges and directs all things according to the purpose which he has set for them at creation and recreation. That is the new heavens and new earth, uh, moving things toward that. So God's wisdom is going to also include his truthfulness and moral aspects. That He is going to be entirely moral as well as powerful and knowledgeable when setting forth his purposes and moving things towards those purposes. 
And so then we have closely related, as we're talking about this moral reality of God, we also have things like his holiness and his justice. God is holy. He is righteous. He is pure. And he is also just. Uh, He cannot be unjust. He is not unjust. Whereas for us, like we can have a certain degree of holiness, but it will always be lacking. And we can have a certain degree of justice, but we also can be unjust. We can fail in that endeavor. I also think of like, say, an earthly ruler, perhaps that them looking to act in, uh, let's just say a politician or president or whatever, uh, naming no names, just making an illustration, acting in goodness or injustice, someone can have uh, basically, they can be influenced externally, right? So we see how this ties in with the attribute of independence with God. God cannot be bribed. You know, he cannot be swayed with some kind of political or social appeal or motive or human sense even then of of human social justice just to use an example god can't be swayed but his holiness and justice is as andrew had said is pure and i I like actually how bobbing sums this all up there right after holiness and justice he says he is not merely the all wise and the almighty he is also the all good and the alone good and then he continues on and actually saying uh, he is perfect and the source of all that is good in creatures, referencing Psalm 145.9, to say that the goodness of God spreads itself out over the whole world, but varies according to the objects on which it is directed, assuming, as it were, various forms. Uh, and this is actually what he's explaining what the Belgian Confession means by saying that God is completely wise, just, and good, and the overflowing source of all good. So he is that basis as the alone good. Also talking about God's goodness, we have his long suffering or his forbearance or his patience, uh, which is shown towards the guilty. Although we are guilty, although we are sinners, he doesn't strike us down where we are, even though he would be just to do so. But then it also takes the form of grace when it is manifested to those who receive the forgiveness of sins, to put it the way Bobbing does. He, they're quoting Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved. Or his love comes back around again. God's goodness when out of grace towards his creatures, he shares himself with them. So using, for instance, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, or 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then finally, his loving kindness or mercy when this goodness of God is manifested to those who enjoy his favor and his goodwill or good pleasure when the emphasis falls on the fact that the goodness and all its benefits are a free gift. So not something we have merited, not something that we deserve. So that's a very quick run through some, not all, of the communicable attributes of God because we really can't, as Bobbing said earlier, get to all of them. And really, similar to the same thing of the names of God, where the names of God tell us various things about uh, his attributes. And there are a lot of names of God in scripture. Uh, There are thousands of attributes that we could go through. But we hope that this is, in some manner or some way, showing not only the transcendence and the loftiness, uh, to use a word I had said earlier, the loftiness of God and how deep and unsearchable his ways truly are, but also how gracious and merciful he is to reveal uh, himself in a manner in which we understand uh, according to our capacity. 
all these things about God should drive us to a greater desire to want to learn more about him and just what real love is, what real and true justice is, uh, especially in this day and age where so many want justice, where people want to say love is love, when each seems to be living according to their ways. The Lord gives us a direction to the right and proper chief end and purpose of man, which is the worship, communion, and glorifying of him. So this will give us some direction as we proceed in the wonderful works of God, and also will help us in understanding in the next chapter, the divine trinity. We're going to need to end there for today, though. We do hope that it has been edifying to you in these episodes on chapter nine of the wonderful works of God. Anything you want to add, Andrew? No. Nope. <laughs> well, we will again save our witty witticisms and silly jokey jokers for the next time that we put out a Bobcast episode, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, as we're hoping to get back on track here and produce more regularly. Uh, everyone pray for Heidi as she uh, exercises uh, an ectypal patience in love and mercy and grace as she goes through editing these episodes, cutting out all the things that uh, need to be cut out in order for it to be given to you. Indeed. Indeed. Until then, Toadzins. Toadzins. Thank you for listening to Bobcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts. For the latest Bobcast news and updates, visit Bobcast.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Bobcast is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Subscribe to the Society of Reformed Podcasters feed to hear more great theological content. Music is City of God by Rudy Manrique. We hope you'll join us again next time.